these kinds of projects become labors of love and you just want it to be right, well, it's like giving birth, painful and slow. Good morning and welcome to episode 146 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh and in Long Beach, California, uh, Sam Miller is joining me as always and joining us for the second time is Daniel Rathman, who's here to talk about the Marlins. Hello, Dan. Hey. Uh, a little sicker than you were last time, but you are oh. you're suffering through this appearance. Anyway, we are grateful. Um, after Dan's interview, uh, Pete Barrett will talk to Juan C. Rodriguez, who covers the Marlins for the Sun Sentinel. So... The Marlins. I, I was trying to think of Marlins questions, and, and each one was more depressing than the last. Um, so I thought maybe we could start with a little optimism, if there is any. Uh, what do you think the best reason to watch the Marlins in 2013, or the best non-Stanton reason, uh, is? It could be a, a player. I mean, is there... Is there a player that people should be excited about? Is there a reason that fans should should tune in to, to watch this team on the field other than Stanton? Um, I, mean, I think one of the things that kind of gets lost in all of the sort of the, the ownership mess with the Marlins is that they actually have a really smart front office. Um, and if you look at the rebuilding process and what, what, they, what, what happened this offseason, most of the moves that they made were smart baseball moves. I mean, they didn't look good from a, the standpoint of they just built the new ballpark and they've saddled the people of Miami with a massive loan. Um, but the, the team is kind of now on track to look good in a few years. Um, and so it's just kind of having all of these young players getting into the picture and getting experience will kind of be the thing that, that you have to watch for now and so try to see who can contribute down the road. Is that... I guess, I mean, so you were in the, the camp then that uh, kind of looking at those moves on a, on a baseball level and not looking at the, the fact that it's, it's kind of depressing for, for Marlins fans, any who might be left at this point, that, that the team is kind of always, uh, there's, there's always a counter ticking down till the next fire sale or the next dismantling of the team. But if you can kind of forget about that for a minute and forget about the fact that that there's an owner who is not willing to, to pay players to stay in Miami. If you just look at the baseball transactions on that level alone, you think that there was a way to defend the, the moves that they made this winter or or even to say that they were smart? Um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, it's there's no question that they've lost the fan base. There were two kind of social media things that happened over the past uh, six months. Right at the end of the season, they put a, an image on Facebook and asked fans to comment on their experiences at the new stadium. Right. And that predictably turned into a mess and ended up on Deadspin. And then uh, I believe two weeks ago, somebody tweeted a photo of the line to buy single game tickets and there were three people in it uh, <laughs> right before it opened. So there's no question that they've, they've lost the fan base. Um, but if you look at what they did, uh, you can even go back earlier than uh, the deal with the Blue Jays. You look at uh, the deal that sent uh, Edward Mujica to the Cardinals where they got Zach Cox, who, whose kind of prospect stock faded last year because he had a bad year. But he at one point projected as never a third baseman. And then earlier this offseason, they unloaded Heath Bell and managed to get the Diamondbacks to pay $13 million 
of what was left on his deal. Um, and it, so if you look at these moves and say, if the Astros were making them, we look at their rebuilding process, we like the moves. Um, it's just that the, given the Marlins situation with the fans being set, or the, the city being saddled with 2.4 billion uh, in a mortgage for that new stadium, you just, you have to kind of separate the two to have any hope for the franchise. It seems like to some degree, um, running a good business is also um, a baseball decision. I mean, you you need revenue in order to to pay players, and normally, I I think that the moves that teams make don't probably have a a huge impact on um, the fan experience or on the fan relationship, and so it, it's usually a pretty small thing. But with the Marlins, you sort of get the sense that um, this might be. Um, you know, a step too far, and that they might never get those fans back. In which case, even if these moves are all really great, um, if they're only drawing 11,000 a game on their way to the World Series, um, they're not going to be a successful franchise, you know, under any circumstances. So do you think that there's any reason to think that fans will come back? Or is this just, um, I mean, was this kind of a potentially a fatal blow to baseball in Miami. I mean, I, I think that you still have fans in Miami. I, I don't think that sort of the attendance boost this year was entirely a product of the new ballpark. So if you have players that you put around Stanton, I think the fans will, will eventually come. The flip side of that, though, is that Miami is sort of now a basketball town with LeBron James, the Heat being one of the best teams in the NBA. And so the Marlins have a lot of catching up to do there and also with the Dolphins maybe coming around. So as a city baseball is probably at the very least in third place in Miami right now and it'll take a lot of time to rebuild faith and it might take a new ownership group whether that's ever going to happen is hard to say can we can we can we ask about Stanton now <laughs> I've been waiting yeah. yeah we went three whole questions so um you know Bryce Harper and, and Mike Trout are are pretty closely linked together you rarely hear one mentioned without the other it seems like and it's maybe like a quarter of the time, Stanton gets thrown in there too. It's like Trout, Harper, and Stanton as like the three young, amazing players. Do you think Stanton is, I mean, obviously nobody is on the level that Trout was last year, but like sort of generally speaking, do you think that he's at the same general level that those two are, or uh, is that kind of overhyping him a little bit based on his age and what he's done? I think that Stanton can be on that level, uh, I mean, he hit 37 home runs last year after hitting one in April. So he was clearly one of the best players in the league after that. He slugged 701 after the All-Star break. Um, and he's a great right fielder with a cannon for an arm. So I, I do think that you can put Stan, uh, uh, Stanton on that level, uh, especially with, uh, I believe there's been five or six players who hit as many home runs as, they ha- as he has before their 23rd birthday. So I absolutely think that you can consider him kind of that once-in-a-generation talent that, that Harper and Trout are. So how long until he joins the exodus, do you think? I would say, I mean, I think that there's some value in keeping him around in terms of uh, having some attendance. And also, if they're going to find one player to keep around to not have payroll fall into the single digits or whatever, I think that player would be Stanton. Um, so he's entering uh, his, his kind of, he's got two years and 118 days of service time. So as he gets into arbitration, I'd say if the fu- if the fire sale is going to happen again, he'll be there for two more years and then he's gone. I mean, there's Which, there's no. Do you think there's any chance that they could salvage their relationship with him and actually keep him in Miami long term? 
I think it would take a lot. Uh, his comment, uh, I believe in Jeff Passon's comment today, uh, Colin today, was that whatever happens is just going to happen. There's nothing he can do. So it does sound like he's just playing at his time in Miami and then he's going to bolt. Um, if they put the players around him and show a willingness to spend again, I think that he could be convinced to stay. But he's going to have one heck of a free agent market if this keeps going. And uh, they're really going to have to to repair the relationship or it might take a new ownership group. I, I, would, I would say that the smart money has nothing him leaving. Can you do me a favor? And, and as silly as it sounds, can you describe what you think his best season is going to look like? Like what's his line going to be like in his best season? I think that if his plate discipline improves, as you sometimes see with players as they get a little bit older, uh, that'll help his batting average come up a little bit. So I think you could see him bat around 290. And I, I, I think he's one of the few players in the majors where I would say that he can one day hit 50, 50 home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there going to be any payoff from the trades this season, starting immediately? There's some players who are slated for starting jobs who were acquired this winter. Uh, will any of them make any impact, or is this purely uh, kind of a, a long-term view? And and if so, do you think that they got impact players back in those trades? Um. If you go back to the trade with the Tigers, they got Rob Brantley, who's slated to be their opening day catcher. Brantley's kind of a, an interesting prospect uh, because he's more athletic than the average catcher. It's hard to say whether he'll hit enough to be the catcher of the future long term, uh, but he's going to be a player to watch this year. And then obviously Jacob Turner, who came over from the Tigers, uh, is another. The only real contributor from the trade with the Blue Jays is probably going to be Henderson Alvarez, uh, who still has a... Pretty good fastball with great movement, just doesn't have very many secondary pitches right now. Uh, so there, there are different players to watch, but I would say that you're going to really see the impact as the Marlins' own prospects come up in 2014, 2015 down the road. So um, the I was just looking at the um, visual depth charts for a piece, and um, right now Pakoda only projects one team to have a negative replacement, I mean a negative warp at any position. And so every basically every team in baseball projects to have at least positive contribution at every position except for the Marlins at catcher and that's largely because um, of Jeff Mathis's <laughs> uh, substantial role in uh, the projections um, with given that Brantley is there and, and given that you know Jeff Mathis um, why do you think they were insistent on getting him in that trade um, I think it was more of just a placeholder than anything else they they don't have a whole lot of upper minors catching depth and so I, I think it really was just a placeholder type of thing. You don't think that, uh, well, I guess none of us know, but do you think that they are uh, believers in the the, uh, the sort of legendary catching genius of Jeff Mathis that can't be demonstrated <laughs> with any numbers or anything like that? Or do you really think that it's just it was a, a throw-in? Oh, I mean, I, I don't really have any reason to believe that it was more than a throw-in, uh, but eventually something might come out that will tell us otherwise. It'll be interesting to see. The uh, Ben and I talked about it on one show. They apparently at one point that was the sticking point in the deal is that the Blue Jays refused <laughs> to give up Mathis. Uh, that is interesting. The the veterans on this team are kind of an interesting collection of. I guess, unwanted parts maybe everywhere else in the major leagues at this point, or at least not wanted very much. There's there's Juan Pierre, and there's Placido Polanco, and and there's Mathis, and 
I mean, I, I guess Casey Kochman is around and Kevin Kuzminoff is around. Are there seriously Kevin Kuzminoff is around? <laughs> yep, he's around. Yep. Um, does any of these guys have something? Sean Figgins. Yeah, Sean Figgins is a good one. Does Does any of these guys have anything left, or was it just purely? We need someone with some sort of name recognition who's making some amount of money to, to keep the players' union off our backs. Or is there any of these guys who is going to surprise people by being more productive than you'd think, possibly? I, I really think most of these guys are just placeholders. You have uh, Kochman, who I think was just signed because Logan Morrison's questionable for opening day. Um, and Pierre is just a placeholder holder in left field until Christian Yelich is ready. So I, I really think these moves are just designed to bring in players who will just be there for now until kind of the, the next wave of prospects is ready to step in. Do either of you know where Kevin Guzmanoff was last year? No. He was in AAA with someone. Uh, he was in AAA with someone part of the time. He was also in AA with someone <laughs> for a lot of the time. He was with the Royals, and um, he spent about half the season in Omaha, and he spent about half the season in the Texas League where he had a 756 OPS at the age of 30 in AA. <laughs> Granted, I mean, the Northwest Arkansas is not a great place to hit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, why do you think Ricky Nolasco is still a Marlin? There was a, a point this offseason where everyone else who was making any kind of money was being traded, uh, and he's... I mean, he's making almost a third of, of their payroll commitments right now. Why did the why did he prove to be fire sale proof? Or was it anything related to his performance? Or was it just he, we need a token guy who's making some money? I think part of it was just having the token guy making some money. The other thing is that over the past few years, Nolasco has kind of regressed with a strike, strikeout rate coming down. So I think the Marlins might be hoping that he has a solid first half during which he could also potentially mentor some of the younger pitchers. And then at that point, if he can rebuild some value, they'll be able to either flip him for possibly a better return than they would have gotten at the start of the season, even with half of it gone. Or at the end of the season, maybe there's a slight chance that he'll warrant a qualifying offer, and that might the draft pick there might be better than what they were being offered in return right now. I can't. It's hard to imagine that they were getting offered anything. I mean, Nolasco seems like a guy who right now you'd have to eat half his contract to get somebody to take him, he's been pretty terrible, right? Exactly, yeah. I think that's why they're kind of hoping that he finds finds lightning in a bottle in the first half. He's been reasonably durable, I guess. I think he's got the lowest ERA plus in baseball over the last four years, except for maybe Barry Zito. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, okay. Dakota's projecting him for two wins, so we'll see. Yeah, so... All right, so how bad is this going to get this season? How many games do you do you think this team will win? Is there any chance that they are not in the cellar? I really don't see any way that this is down a last place team, uh, unless all of the young pitchers somehow enjoy a breakout year and then they just kind of mix and match on offense. I I think it's going to be close as to whether they're going to be able to sneak in over 100 wins. Uh, sorry, 100 losses. I'll go 59 and 103 just to throw a number out there. All right. That's that's great. You gave a uh, 
more pessimistic prediction than we got out of the um, out of the Astros chapter. Yeah, that's true. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. What was the Astros prediction? Uh, it was like sixty three, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was it was not quite. I think it was not quite 100 losses. My my Ricky Nolasco factoid, by the way, didn't hold up. But there is some there is some way of organizing play index where he is he is last and Barry Zito is second to last or vice versa. <laughs> Just so you know, I, I mean, don't hold me to the details, but there's something you can do. Okay. Uh, do you have any more Marlins questions, Sam? Um, well, I mean, I'm really interested in the Kevin Kuzminoff saga. <laughs> 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 but otherwise, no. Okay. Uh, okay. Thank you, Dan, for coming on and, and talking about a, a difficult subject, the Miami Marlins. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, th- thanks for having me. And after the intro, Pete will talk to the long-suffering Juan C. Rodriguez of the Dun Sentinel. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to the squeeze. Joining us today to talk Marlins is Juan Rodriguez, who covers the Marlins for the Sun Sentinel. Juan, thanks so much for joining us. You got it. Thanks for having me. Juan, obviously another big fire sale from the Marlins. We saw the big trade. Is it tough to get enthused about covering the Marlins after all those moves? Well, I mean, not for me personally. I mean, I'm, uh, I've got a job that uh, I'm sure a million people would want to switch places with me with. So, uh, you know, I look at it from the standpoint that I'm still covering Major League Baseball. But, uh, you know, I think from the fans' perspective, it's certainly uh, disheartening uh, to have to go through this again, especially, uh, you know, in the second year of a new ballpark that uh, supposedly was going to remedy these kinds of situations. Uh, You know, before when they were at uh, the Dolphin Stadium, uh, you know, they they didn't have a lot of revenue streams. Uh, Now they move into the new uh, facility down at uh, the side of the old Orange Bowl, and, uh, you know, they've got these revenue streams that they had before. Uh, you know, the hope was that they were would be able to, uh, you know, sustain, uh, you know, at least the middle of the road uh, payrolls. But uh, you know, last year was just such a catastrophe that they felt like they had to just uh, tear it down to the foundation and uh, start building it back up. Right. And is it interesting to you that they had they felt the need to give up on this big plan with the new ballpark and everything after just one year? Why couldn't they have waited another year to see if this talent would have performed differently in 2013? Well, I mean, you could even make the argument that there wasn't even a whole year, that uh, they basically gave it half a year. Uh, you know, you saw uh, Hamlet Ramirez traded to uh, the Dodgers midseason. You saw basically their, their best, uh, one of their best pitchers, Anibal uh, Sanchez, and their uh, starting second baseman, Omar Infante, traded to Detroit uh, again midseason. So, uh, you know, by, by August and September, this was a very different team than the one that uh, – that opened the year, and, and uh, that was certainly an argument that was heard a, a lot here in terms of why uh, there there wasn't uh, this group wasn't given a longer period to succeed. But uh, really, they, there was just no uh, outward sign that uh, that things were getting better, that things were going to get better. Uh, the talent was there; you just had guys that uh, weren't performing up to their uh, career numbers. Uh, you know, Jose Reyes uh, struggled early. 
uh, Hanley Ramirez, uh, you know, for a couple of years now, really just hadn't been the player that uh, the Marlins envisioned when they gave him a, uh, a $70 million contract. And, and really uh, beyond what was happening on the field, uh, the, the chemistry in the clubhouse was uh, was really toxic. Uh, you know, it just wasn't a good mix in there. And uh, you know, the Marlins really just, uh, the front office felt like they kind of had to get back to uh, – what had made them successful in the past, uh, uh, you know, going back to, to finding some, uh, you know, guys uh, maybe coming off injuries, uh, guys uh, looking to get back on the uh, upswing and uh, kind of build from there with uh, a really good nucleus of uh, young talent that hopefully they'll be able to hold on to here for uh, the next several years. At what point, Juan, did you really realize last year that this could be a lost season? Boy, you know, it, uh, they, they had a pretty decent uh, May after a, a bad June. So, uh, you know, there, there was still some hope, uh, we'll say two months into the season. Uh, but then, uh, you know, once the, the, the summer months started coming around, uh, you know, it just became pretty apparent that for whatever reason, things weren't uh, working out. And again, you know, this was a veteran team. Uh, you know, you had guys on the field that, uh, you know, you felt pretty good about the numbers that uh, they were going to put up. And just for, for whatever reason, uh, you know, it wasn't clicking up and down the lineup, uh, you know, whether it was uh, Jose Reyes or, you know, John Buck behind the plate. Uh, you know, you had some, some pitchers, uh, you know, not performing uh, like they had in the past, uh, like Josh Johnson and uh, and the Ricky Nolasco. So, uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, Heath Bell just uh, was fantastic in San Diego, and then he, he gets to Miami and, and just, uh, you know, can't seem to do anything right. And, and that was just, uh, you know, a point of, uh, of contention throughout the season just to, as far as, you know, what his role should be. You know, should he be closing games? You know, do you make him a setup man? Uh, how do you get him back to, to what he was before? So, you know, it was a very... Uh, strenuous time and then you know you have Ozzy Guillen uh, trying to manage all this and uh, you know he certainly isn't the most even keel guy in the world so I think uh, his uh, frustration uh, became outwardly evident and uh, again it just uh, I think by, by June it just uh, was apparent that uh, this team was not going to turn it around and uh, the mix just wasn't right. We're talking Marlins baseball with Juan C. Rodriguez who covers the Marlins for the Sun Sentinel. You mentioned Ricky Nolasco not performing up to what he had done previously. Now without Josh Johnson, he is their projected ace. He's their number one starter. Do you get the feeling that he could turn it back around? You know, I was a big uh, Ricky Nolasco fan, and, and I still believe in him. He certainly has the stuff to be a uh, you know very uh, serviceable pitcher in this league. I mean, uh, you know, wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, you know he throws. Uh, 220 innings and then wins your 15 games this year. But, you know, what concerns me about an Alaska is just you've seen uh, a little bit of a decline each year in terms of his uh, uh, strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, you know, he's still a pretty good uh, control guy. He's not walking uh, many hitters, but, uh, you know, he's no longer a strikeout pitcher. Uh, uh, you know, he's not pitching off his fastball as much as uh, he, he did in the past and not getting as many swings and misses. So, uh, my fear with Nolasco is just if he's a guy that, uh, you know, uh, forces teams to put the ball in play, 
uh, you know, he better have some some good defenders behind him. And uh, you know, early indications are that they should have maybe a, a slightly better defensive team than uh, than they did last year. But uh, you know, starting with Nolasco, you go through this whole uh, projected rotation, and there are not a lot of uh, you know big strikeout guys in there. So it's going to be uh, paramount for for the Marlins to play good defense and uh, and back up their starting pitchers if, uh, if they plan on surprising some people this season. One of the big stars that they still have on the roster is Giancarlo Stanton. Um, is, is there the feeling? Do you get the feeling that he's here to stay? Uh, I do not, and that's not to say that that he's not here to stay, but that I think it's pretty iffy at this point. Uh, you know, Stan is still so young, and certainly the kind of talent that that you want to build a franchise around. But uh, you know, he certainly wasn't happy with uh, how things uh, turned out this off season. Uh, you know, he made his discontent uh, known through uh, his Twitter account and uh, through several media outlets. And you know, he got to spring training uh, this season and uh, appears ready to turn the page. And uh, you know, this kid is professional. I, I don't a problem uh, there as far as, uh, you know, the, the effort he's going to provide you on the field. But, uh, you know, I think uh, he's kind of at the stage now. The Marlins uh, uh, haven't come to him with a long-term contract. And so basically until they do that, there's really nothing to, to discuss as far as whether uh, he'd, he'd commit to this franchise long-term. Uh, he'll be uh, arbitration eligible after this season. So, you know, I think at the very latest, uh, you know, maybe after 2014, uh, you know, if the Marlins haven't signed him long term by then, uh, they really have to think about uh, moving him. Obviously, the closer he gets to free agency, the, the less inclined he's going to be to uh, to sign a long term deal. But you know, at the same time, I think uh, you know, just based on uh, some of his uh, injury history, the nagging injuries that he's had in the past, it'd be a big risk for him to turn down a uh, you know big guaranteed contract uh, whether it's at some point uh, this season or or after this season so you know it's certainly a situation that uh, bears watching and uh, you know certainly how young he is uh, you can argue he's probably uh, has the most raw power in the game right now uh, he's certainly a guy that uh, Marlon fans want to see patrolling right field uh, for the next decade at least for them yeah and I don't want to harp too much on the negative I just find this stuff fascinating that you mentioned maybe Mike Stanton or excuse me, John Carlos Stanton may not want to re-sign here, 2014. I got to think that after guys like Jose Reyes and other people that were traded expressed that they felt lied to almost by this organization, that this is going to be a tough thing to to have free agents come and play in Miami for this ownership. Well, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, when you look at the long-term deals that the Marlins have signed with guys, uh, you know, Ricky Nolasco is probably, he signed a, a three-year deal and, and, uh, I think he's, uh, has a, the only one left that has a chance of actually, uh, fulfilling that contract with this organization. So, uh, you know, you look at some of the, uh, the, I guess accusations that Reyes made, uh, this offseason about, uh, owner Jeffrey Loria telling him, uh, you know, days before he was traded that, uh, he wasn't going anywhere, that he should, uh, look into buying property in South Florida. Uh, you know, I think that that gives uh, free agents a uh, pause when, when they're looking at the Marlins and they're looking at uh, at a marriage with uh, you know this franchise and this ownership group. Uh, you know, my belief is, uh, is still that you know free agents uh, for the most part are going to follow the money. 
the Marlins are probably going to put themselves in a situation where if and when they get to that point where they're back in the market for uh, for, for marquee free agents, they're probably going to have to overpay for them and, uh, you know, overpay by a significant amount to uh, to get them to come here as opposed to, uh, to other places. You know, another uh, issue that kind of hinders them somewhat is the fact that uh, they have a policy where they don't uh, – give no trade clauses for those big uh, multi-year deals. So, you know, without that security, uh, you know, the players, uh, you know, they don't want to be moving every, uh, you know, every couple of seasons. So, you know, it's something that uh, give them something to think about uh, before they commit to, to coming to South Florida. So the Marlins blew up the current roster, basically starting with a whole new philosophy, it seems like. What is that philosophy and how long do they expect it to take before they can become successful in the National League East? Well, they when they won the World Series in 2003, I mean, they really harped on, uh, on the pitching and defense. And, uh, I mean, they, they just had an outstanding uh, defensive team, particularly in the infield going around the horn with, uh, you know, Derek Lee and uh, Luis Castillo and uh, Alex Gonzalez and Mike Lowell at third base. So, you know, I think they kind of want to get back to uh, – to, to that approach of just, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, stacked rotation and, uh, you know, guys that can really pick it in the field. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of uh, intriguing arms right now. Uh, when you look at uh, Jacob Turner, who was, uh, you know, one of the Tigers' top pitching prospects who came back in the uh, Sanchez and Fonte deal, uh, Nathan Evaldi uh, is going to be in the rotation again. Uh, he came back from the Dodgers in the uh, – in the handler trade. So, you know, these are young guys and uh, you expect them to, to kind of have uh, ups and downs over the course of uh, this early part of their careers. But, you know, I think if uh, they, they progress as the Marlins uh, anticipate they will, uh, you know, this could be a better season than, than a lot of people uh, anticipate it will be. David Sampson ran a ridiculous amount of miles, over 50, I believe, to open up. The, he finished the, the mile count at the new stadium, Marlins Park, this year, I don't think there'd be as many people there for this same feat. Do you expect attendance to be an issue in 2013? Oh, no question. Uh, you, you know, I think uh, you know for some of the marquee series, you'll still get decent crowds, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, uh, you know we're reminded of some of those uh, you know, midweek games at Dolphin Park, where you know it was barely uh, you know uh, 10,000 in the seats, or at least announced crowds of 10,000, and probably uh, you know fewer bodies in the stands. Uh, you know this is a uh, a pretty scarred fan base at this point, and uh, you know just the level of uh, of distrust for this ownership group is uh, at an all-time high. And and honestly, I'm not sure how uh, how they go about repairing that, uh, other than you know just uh, showing that they got the right players back in these. In these uh, deals and uh, and having some of these young guys uh, not only uh, develop but uh, you know signing them to to long term deals and you know even when they do that there's still that uh, skepticism I think for, for the average fan that okay yeah he signed them for for six years that they're uh, they're going to get traded after one or two seasons if, uh, if things don't go well so uh, you know it's just a very odd dynamic here between the fan base and uh, and the ownership group and uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, fences that uh, need mending and uh, I think until they start uh, winning consistently again and uh, you know some some guys whether it's a Stanton or uh, some of these uh, young kids that are promising and then coming up uh, or, or signed to long-term deals and then actually 
stay here, there, there's just going to be, uh, you know, a great level of uh, skepticism for, for any moves that uh, the Marlins make. You can follow Juan on Twitter at JCR Marlins Beat. Juan, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy spring training, and uh, hopefully we can talk again sometime during the season. Anytime, Pete.